Life Audio. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Sparkle Speak. I'm your host, Catherine. Bear with me. This is the like fifth time I'm recording this because I can't talk today. So you know what? I hope I can get through this intro. But anyways, today we have on a very special guest. Her name's Gina Sheets. She's the founding member of Hope in the Harvest Missions International and former director of the Indiana State Department of Agriculture. She currently lives in Arizona and she shares with us her faith journey of starting Hope in the Harvest Missions International, which led her and her husband to live in Liberia for five years, which also happened to be during the Ebola outbreak. So she talks a little bit about that. And we get right into the first question, which is, how did Gina become a Christian and start identifying herself as a Christian? And so without further ado, we will get into her interview after a few words from our sponsors. Please enjoy. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. That's a great question because I don't have what I call the come to Jesus defining moment in my life. I don't have this great, exciting story other than I have influences in my life who were certainly always around me. And my first influence was my mother's mother. She -hmm. was pretty much homebound. She had disability in rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, it was disfiguring. She could barely walk. She couldn't use her hands very well. And I would go over and spend weekends with her when I was like six or seven. And so her church was on TV and it was the hour of power that she watched most frequently with Robert Schuller, Dr. Robert Schuller. And as a young girl, I remember sitting down in front of that TV. I learned the songs. I learned just a lot of the responses. And apparently when I went back home to my parents, I was influential enough that drove them to realize she's serious. She wants to be in church. And it's not that they weren't outside of church. I would say they were Christians, but they were not Christ followers. And I see a difference in that. And so they started taking me to a local church and I just became very involved. I was an alkali, you know, an alkalite doing the candle lighting and then just serving any way that a young person could. And as I grew up in that church, I was given more responsibilities. I served on boards. I became a liturgist. I would read the scripture. Wow. And pretty soon I was invited to share in some of the messages. So <laughs> I'm just amazing. And as a young adult, even going to college, um, my first year of college, I went to a faith based small private college, transferred to a public college in a different state. But I 
after finding a place to live, then I found a church to go to. And my husband and I have just on vacations, just anywhere we find ourselves, we find a church. Mm, that's beautiful. I, I really love that. It's almost like you definitely had a calling on your life from a young age where God just said, I want this this girl to know me and I'm going to make it happen because he probably sensed a devotion and a desire in you that um, clearly you had to seek it out and just be committed everywhere you went. I love that. Um, yeah. So tell us more about um, maybe have there been experiences or seasons of life that have really helped shape your view of God along the way? Oh, absolutely. You know, I can relate to Jonah in life's I have certainly wanted to run away from my Ninevehs and Mm -hmm. I'll get to that when, you know, a little later on, if we talk about just life verses that speak to me, because I certainly, it's not that I've always been in the Lord, but thank goodness he's always chased me back down. If I, if I've turned the other way or, amen. (laughs) but I do have some defining moments. My, one of my first defining moments was in 1999 our small community in Indiana had been praying for a revival for quite some time, like many communities do. And Mm -hmm. we had gathered as a multi-denominational group and had been praying for well over a year. That would have been in 98. And then in 99, the Billy Graham crusade came to Indianapolis, Indiana. I volunteered. I became trained as a counselor. And I think that training lasted for about six months, twice a week. It was really involved and really intense, but it was a great opportunity to learn how to observe people and share the gospel with them where they are at that moment. And so when the crusade came, I was there every night. I worked every night with the exception of the youth night. That particular night, I took a minivan of young teenagers to the youth program, and it was instrumental in a couple of those kids' lives. To this day, they have commented, you know, I remember that, and I remember that program well. So seeing how that crusade operated and observing how God speaks to people in so many different ways, that crusade had over 200,000 people in attendance. And you could see from all different types of walks and lives and experiences and moments where they were, But that didn't matter. They were hearing and the Holy Spirit was working in their life as it needed to be. And they could worship through the music. They could worship through, of course, Dr. Billy Graham and hearing him and then accepting the invitation. So that was pretty powerful just to see a big body of Christ, complete strangers, but united in Christ. That that was powerful. Oh, yeah, I bet. The second experience for me, my husband and I were leading a mission team in Ecuador up in the Andes Mountains, and we had the opportunity, we were asked to do a project, and and we were doing a potable water project, but one of the other projects we did, we brought Bibles down in that native language, which was Ikechua, and I'm not sure if I'm getting the language right, but that was the tribe Indians, the Ikechua Indians, and the Bibles were written in their language and to watch our pastor give a Bible for the first time to the pastor of that church where he could read it, speak it, share it, know it, study it further. It it was just, it was a beautiful experience. And Mm -hmm. that in the United States, most of us have Bibles in every room, (laughs) Mm -hmm. several different translations, but to see how powerful the word of God could be, And and to realize, and I knew that, but to see how 
it, it wasn't just ordinary. It wasn't just, you know, another book in the home that this was something to be prized, treasured, shared. That was a moving experience. And then my third one, obviously, the life events that led my husband and I to have a vision to establish a mission in Liberia and for friends and family to come alongside. And we are going on our 11th year this year in our work and we're expanding to other countries. So that's pretty exciting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can you tell us about, um, well, I don't even know where to start because I read some of your story and it's incredible. Do you want to tell us a little bit about like the Ebola experience and, um, just being in Liberia in general, what led you there, what your mission is, just give us all the info. So I'll start kind of at the beginning. Mm -hmm. The easiest way people say, how did you get to Liberia? And the short answer, and I don't want to be flippant, but it's true, is it's God led us there. We weren't looking for a mission. We were happy where we were doing the work that we were doing in Indiana and then just being involved in our community around us. My husband was on the mission field with a small group building churches around the world. And so he was already in and out of the mission field, but I had no desire to join him until God, through a series of conversations, put on our heart that agriculture was really needed, agriculture development in the country, uh, especially West Africa, but on the continent of um, Africa. And we were approached by several different countries. I was speaking, I was the director of economic development for Indiana Agriculture. So I was doing a, a facilitation on what philanthropic work looked like and giving looked like versus government giving and aid. Mm. And the results are not even comparable, which most of us know that mm. and can figure that out. But through that conversation, agriculture and agriculture need and development came up over and over again. And long story short, in May of 2012, my husband and I went to Liberia to have a look around. We had been working with about eight different countries at that time, meeting with um, prime ministers, meeting with people in the cabinet of the president, meeting with other mission groups, trying to figure out. We realized then God was calling us to do something. We just didn't know what that something was. We went, went to Liberia with a young man who was very persistent. I met him one time at the Sagamore Institute, and my husband and I are now senior fellows with the Sagamore Institute. This guy said, oh, just come to Liberia. I didn't even know like, where Liberia was, and I called hu my husband, Travis. He was in the Philippines, and I said, do you know where Liberia is? And he said, nope, never heard of it. Unfortunately, <laughs> not yeah. heard of it. And so uh, this guy, persistent, got us on a plane. We went to Liberia, and we knew. I knew. We touched down. We were there at about 11 o'clock at night. It was pouring down rain. It was dark. It, you know, that wood-burning charcoal smell, it was just engulfed in the air. And we knew. That's where we were supposed to be. Came back to Indiana and met with our pastor. Tried to find a sending agency that was non-denominational because we wanted to work with any pastor that wanted to work with us. And we knew we wanted to extend a program called Farming God's Way. It's a, a free agriculture tool that shares the gospel while teaching agriculture principles, management, and technology. That's what we wanted to do. We formed a 501c3 with our closest friends who became board members. And at the end of 2012, my husband went over to Liberia to begin building an agriculture research center. We landed on a small college campus 
And on that campus, we created the Department of Agriculture for them. We wrote their curriculum for an associate's level and a bachelor's level degree in applied sciences of agriculture and built a demonstration farm that is going strong today, thanks to other missionary families that clearly are there full time. We came up with, we wanted to be the boots on the ground versus shoes in the cruiser. But at the same time, we don't want to be in one spot forever. We don't give anything out but the love of Christ and agriculture knowledge. We don't give out tools. We don't give out seeds. We don't do handouts. We are there to help them develop their skill set based on biblical principles. Wow. So that's that's what we're doing. (laughs) That's amazing. What is your organization called? Hope in the Harvest Missions International. Amazing. Wow. So do you plan to stay in Liberia for um, the foreseeable future? What does that look like? It will take a while. You know, I I think that we forget in the United States and in the Western Hemisphere that our agriculture knowledge, our agriculture families, it's intuitive knowledge. We've been farming in the United States for over 200 years. We know how to do it and we do it well. And now we know how to use technology and we know how to develop partnerships with expertise in every single facet of agriculture. When we go into places like Liberia that had been traumatized through 24 years of civil unrest, that's two decades. That's a generation of knowledge that's gone. And Mm. we have to remember that. So you really have to, we say we meet people where they are with what they have in their hand and work alongside them to be successful in that, to develop that. Wow, that's beautiful. And, you know, I I love that you're combining a love for Jesus with knowledge of agriculture. I mean, that is just, you can't get any better than that. And it reminds me, when you were talking about Liberia and the the just the devastation that they've experienced for an entire generation, it made me think of Joel 2, where it says, God will restore to you the years the locusts took. And it's like, that's what you guys are doing. You are being a resource and a tool that God is using to restore to them what was taken from them. And just, I I commend you so much for doing that hard work. Um, speaking of that, can you share any like challenges or things you've encountered along the way with this mission? Yeah, two things come to mind. My husband went over first. And so I want to encourage families that, you know, are called, but they're trying to figure out how to make it work. My husband went over to Liberia almost a year ahead of me. At that time, I was working for Indiana Agriculture, and uh, then Governor Mike Pence, he became governor of Indiana. He won the election in 2012 and in 2013 went into office, and he appointed me as his director of Indiana Agriculture. My husband was already gone and out of the country, but it was an incredible mm-hmm. moment. I, I didn't know Governor Pence at all, but the lieutenant governor called me into her office and she said, in 10 minutes, we're going to go meet Governor Mike Pence. Do you know him? And I said, no. And she said, well, that's okay. She said, tomorrow, he's going to announce that you're the next director of Indiana Agriculture. Now, everybody knew that Travis was already in Liberia. And so when we, I went up to meet Governor Pence, the first thing he did, he shook my hand and he said, I know about your mission. I know that your husband's in Liberia, that he's called you guys to do this. And it's a great thing. He said, you're not there yet. So I think God is calling you to serve in the state of Indiana. He said, when it's time for you to leave, he said, we'll support you 100%. So that was that was pretty powerful. But 
the reason I bring that up is because, you know, Trav and I made that faithful decision to part ways for him to go somewhere what it would take him at least three days to get back to me maybe even longer than that depending on flights and that's tough so but it can be done you know that faithfulness and that support system that's why I like this podcast because it's encouraging women to listen and to learn and and then to say okay I can do this I can do this experience so in 2014 I stayed in Indiana for a year and felt God really pushing for us to be together moved over in 2014 all right everyone we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back to hear from Gina what impacts you every day there is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. In March of 2014, there were rumblings of this virus called Ebola that had come across from Guinea into Liberia. And at that time, my husband and I were very arrogant and ignorant about Ebola. And we told all of our family, oh, don't worry, you know, we that we won't get sick. We'll pay attention to what's going on. And through a series of events, God divined and God appointed My husband was asked by a friend, hey, I know you're not supposed to come back until, you know, 2015, but do you think I've got something I would like for you to do? Do you think you could come back in July of 2014? And my husband said, well, let me talk to Gina. That same day, I had someone contact me, someone completely different said, hey, we're doing this event in July of 2014. Do you think you could change your ticket and come home for that? It'd be pretty, pretty important. So when we talked, we were like, we need to change our tickets. We probably need to get back to Indiana. So we did that. And the day that we were leaving Liberia, Ebola was starting to become a little hot in Liberia, but still arrogant and ignorant. It wasn't going to bother us. And the day we were leaving Liberia, uh, the Ministry of Health had been bombed um, by a local. It was more like a motel cocktail that, you know, bomb that was thrown in. But a fire was started there as we were going to the airport. Uh, the United Nations fire squad came in and we were like, oh, I wonder what's going on. We get back into the country and, and we flew into New York 
and there is a man dressed in full military garb with a piece of paper as you're entering in getting ready to go to customs and he looks at travis and i and he said sheets and we were like uh yes and he said you need to come with me and i was like oh no what happened well ebola had happened seriously liberia closed her borders in our transition back to the united states because of ebola and uh i get emotional mm-hmm. so um <clears throat> excuse me no there was a young man who had been helping us. <laughs> Cutest guy, just wanted to learn so much. He was living with his grandma and his grandma came to us right before we got ready to leave Liberia. And she said, Gabe is my 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 son. She said, but could he come and, and just live with you? He's learning so much, much more than I could provide for him. We were like, you know what? We're going back to the United States. But when we come back, which would have been 30 days. When we come back, we'll sit down and we'll talk about all this. And she said, oh, okay. And we were all excited. Well, the area that we lived in became one of the most deadliest spots for Ebola. And Gabe's family and his entire community, 72 people within three days, died of Ebola. They were literally about a hundred yards from where we lived. And again, my husband and I were arrogant and ignorant about how dangerous Ebola was. If God hadn't have intervened and pulled us out of that country, by the way, both of those events that we came back for, neither one of them happened. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So he knew, you know, it was just, we couldn't get back until, so that was in August when that happened. We came back in late July. That was August when um, Ebola took our, our, many of our friends died. Mm-hmm. Um, and we finally got a call from some friends at the USA embassy and said, hey, you know, we we can't protect you in any way, but the country is starting to subside the hot spots are starting to subside people are starting to understand you know how to curtail stay away recognize the signs of ebola could you come back because at that time we were building the agriculture research center we employed a lot of people and there were now a lot of hungry people especially in our area and we said sure and it was the most eeriest flight because on that flight usually there's a diverse group of people but especially people going back to west africa on the flight over, if you weren't medical or you weren't military prior to this flight, you really couldn't get in to mm-hmm. Liberia. So mm-hmm. you, we were on this flight filled with nurses and doctors going to do some extraordinary things and military people going to set up Ebola hospitals. And then mm-hmm. there was us on this flight. But it, and it was very heartwarming to see how people reacted to a crisis and responded. Well, and God sent you, you know, he... He had people to tend to physical needs and and um, mental needs, but he saw a need for spiritual needs to be met too, and that's where you came in. And I just um, I can't even begin to imagine just what that all felt like and experiencing all that. It's pretty incredible. But um, I guess um, if you have any advice for people who feel called to something, um, you kind of mentioned Jonah earlier, like you just have this 
this big calling that God's asking you to do, and it can seem scary and intimidating. Um, what would be your advice for how someone would even begin to, first of all, decipher what is God asking me to do? What is he calling me to do? But then second of all, wrestle with like that um, choice to make. Yeah, the first thing is prayer, discernment. Discern, is this something in the back of my head that I think I want to do for myself? Or is this truly God leading me? And the next thing is to vocalize that, to get your friends, your prayer warriors, who, who you know, your church family, people in your office, people that will give you an opinion, whether you want to hear it or not, those types of folks, you know, a lot of people say, how come you're friends with that person? Because, you know, they're just kind of harsh and just say things, you know, the way they are, find those people that will listen to what you have to say and then give you some feedback, whether it's feedback that you want to hear or, you know, don't. I think that's very important. And that's exactly what we did. And then just step back because God will bring the people in that you need to hear from, mm. you know, or he'll, it will be just those confirming moments that are very important and to be hearing that, to step out of your own head and, and just open up that space. Mm. I think that's really good advice because you're right. It starts with the seed in your brain, but then we all have those moments where we're like, well, was that just me or is that the Holy Spirit talking to me? And we don't always know. And so I think that's very wise to say, take a moment to step back and ask God and say, will you just confirm this for me from outside sources? And if, if you know God, you know, he's creative and how he responds. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's, that's really good advice. Um, And yeah, I would just love to hear from you. Do you have any favorite verses or scripture that you just really enjoy in your life? Absolutely. Thanks for asking that question. I think it's, it's a great tool to tuck away and, and hide in our heart, right? Those scripture verses. And for a long time, my life verse that I fall back on over and over again and share with other people, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I, I love that because it's, a, it's sort of what we've been talking about. It's not about me. You know, it is about my faith. And that's the beginning point of just opening up to God. But that's the the critical piece. It's it's not about any work that I can do. You know, it's the the faith that has saved me through God's grace, not because I can do any of the work so that I can take credit for it or brag, but it's it's God. And the next piece to that that I like is is that we are God's workmanship and we're created in the image of Christ Jesus to do the work, the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. I love that. In this moment of, I always try and do a, a year verse, something like each year as I have a prayer room, a, a war room, I call it. And I have a board, a prayer board where I put points of prayer that I'm praying for. I write notes. I have scripture. I do all of that. And every year I try and, and be open to a, a verse that helps me concentrate and focus. And this year, getting back to Jonah and Nineveh, there's so much going on in the world. Man, there's just 
everywhere you turn, it could be bad news, um, not so good news. And I think it's up to us to to be realistic, but to also find the the good news and, and to find the good in people. And Luke 6, verse 37 and 38, talking about not judging, because it's almost like the media wants us to start judging, you know, um, that the social part of the world wants us to really have a viewfinder that's judging, but it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that verse, that Luke 6, 37 and 38, those two verses are really as a reminder to me because what I measure people with, how I judge people, it's why should I not be judged in that same way? And, you know, I want to be pressed down. And I think that's important because it's pressed down is a little bit uncomfortable and being shaken can be a little bit uncomfortable, but the end result is beautiful. Everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Sparkle Speak. As always, you can find us at sparklefate.com or check out our sponsors at lifeaudio.com to find more podcasts just like ours. Don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe, and we will talk to you again next week on Sparkle Speak. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.